probably all of us know, or hopefully you do, what life is like under a good leader. Uh, surely all of us know what it's like under a bad one. We've had maybe good bosses, we've had bad bosses. I mean, they can make life great, or they can make life kind of unbearable. Uh, this story is all about what makes a good leader, what makes a good boss, what makes someone um, good to lead others. And before you think this is about someone else, and not you, because you don't think you're a leader, um, it is about you. This story is about your walk, it's about your walk with Jesus, and therefore it's also about his church that you're a part of. So let's uh, take a look at the story, and, and to start with, here's a bit of the background of the story. We start with what's going to be a familiar refrain. The Israelites, God's people, did uh, evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the cycle begins. So they, their disobedience leads to them being oppressed. And while they're oppressed, they cry out to God for help. And that's what we talked about last week, crying out. Um, but then here in chapter 4, we get to Deborah, a bright spot in a dark book of Judges. She's a prophet. Prophets are mouthpieces for God. And God, through Deborah, tells Barak, her friend here that we'll look at in a second, to take charge and lead people out of oppression. People are going to be let out of oppression. How is God going to do this? He's going to use Barak, and it's Deborah's job to tell Barak to do this. Now, Barak doesn't seem as keen as Deborah. He's not as keen. Um, he gets Deborah to go with him, kind of twists her arm. He's like, oh, I'm not going to do it unless you come with me. So she kind of, but she's happy to. She's all about it. It's not quite disobedience from Barak, but it's not quite kind of willing, active obedience either. Deborah, though, thankfully, is keen. She goes to Barak, and she tells him to go against uh, the enemies, Sisera and the army, kind of facing Israel. Eventually, uh, Sisera flees on foot. He gets to a tent where Jael lives, and Jael takes advantage of the situation, and she's the hero who kills Sisera. The man is the hero here. Two women are the heroes. Tent peg through the head, by the way. There's not much kind of recovery from that. So then in, in chapter 5, and we didn't do, didn't do that in our reading, but we'll get to that in a bit here. Um, there's a song that Deborah writes. There's a song that she sings. So the heroes in the story, they're, they're the women. And what we're going to look at is what makes a good leader and how important it is for people to step up, men and women, everybody. Now, maybe you don't think, again, that you're a leader. Uh, but these are all the qualities that we should all want, whether we're actually leading other people or not. And my guess is you're probably leading more people than you think. Whether we're actually leading people or not, these are the qualities all of us should have. And it might be that God, through even this sermon, is asking you to step up in different ways. It might be He might be asking you to step up in your missional community, to take a training course. Uh, he might be asking you to step up on Sundays. He might be asking you to start a core group with somebody if you're not in a core group. And not just in the church, of course, but in the workplace. There's all sorts of opportunities and possibilities with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family. Like, Where is God asking you to step up into? Now, avoiding these places that God has called you to, because there are places God's called everybody to, and there are places God has called only you to. You're the only person there. Avoiding that, uh, avoiding these areas of leadership in your life, no matter how small it might be, is a way to sabotage your relationship with God and with other people. So only by walking with Jesus can we consistently embrace God's call of leadership. This is good for us, but it's also good for other people, these other people that we love, and these other relationships that we have. And if we have a community of people, a community of people who get this, who are all walking the same direction together, that kind of church really can love and serve a neighborhood well. And that's exciting to think about. 
isn't it? People who are happy to step up because they know of God's work in their life. So let's take this, uh, this story of Deborah. Let's break it down into three things. Always threes, right? Three things. The first is good leaders go first. The second is good leaders encourage others. And the third is good leaders give glory to God. Good leaders go first, encourage others, give glory to God. So let's start with the first one. Good leaders go first. Uh, good leaders go first because they listen to God. Good leaders go first because they listen to God. In chapter 4, look at verses uh, 6 through 8. I'll just read them real quickly here. She, who's Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with your ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. There's a lot of names here. There's a lot of places here. You don't really need to know how to pronounce all the names, though obviously that's helpful. You don't really even need to know all the places for this kind of particular story, though obviously that would be helpful. We just don't have the time to get to get into all that here. The main thing that you need to know is that God, through Deborah, told Barak to act. God, through Deborah, told Barak to act. Now, Deborah was a prophet, and she knew God's voice. And what was God saying? God was telling Deborah, I've got this. I've got this. I'm going to lead my people out of oppression. And he was telling Barak, through Deborah, Barak, you lead your army here because I'm going to win this battle for you. As simple as that. I'm going to work, but not by myself. I'm going to work using you. But that wasn't enough for Barak. If Deborah said, I'm not going, apparently... Barak wouldn't have went. Barak didn't really kind of step up. Barak really didn't go first. Deborah was the one who stepped up. Deborah was really the one who went first. Barak didn't listen to God. These are literally God's words to him, and he's not really obeying them. I mean, he heard the words, but he didn't listen. It's very easy to, for us to do that, right? So easy. Especially if you're around the church at all. It's so easy for us to hear the words of God and not actually listen. We think we need more. Barak thinks he needs more than God's words. Now, Deborah, when asked to go, she didn't waver. She's like, certainly, of course. Yeah, if that's what you want, that's fine. Like, I know God's got this because I'm listening to God's voice. She'll definitely go, but she tells Barak that Barak isn't going to get the honor of being the victorious leader. He's not going to get the honor of leading God's people. You can't get the benefits without the work, Barak. And then we find that Jael, instead of Barak, gets the glory of destroying the enemy. Barak is sidelined. Barak is just some kind of spectator, really. He, he's in the story, but he's not. He's just kind of following along. Good leaders, though, they go first. They take action. They don't sit back and wait. They take advantage of the opportunities that God gives them. They don't bring problems and issues. They see the problems and issues and get involved with it and help fix it. They don't say, hey, you, you should fix that thing over here, or here's something we should do. They get on with it, and they do it, and they go first. Because they listen to God, and they're not just listening to like their anxieties of needing to do something, they're not listening to what might be a good idea in our heads, they're listening to God. Because they listen to God, when they act, it's not rash, it's not, it doesn't steamroll over other people, because that's not, not what God does. It doesn't disregard problems. When we listen to God, we hear what he's calling us to, and calling requires action, as it did for Barak, and as it did for Deborah. Now, this story tells us that we don't just need men to lead. 
it should be kind of a given, but in some conservative evangelical circles, if men are leading, everyone seems perfectly happy, and women are, and whether women are involved or not. We need men and women. Men and women. In fact, it's biblical to have men and women being involved in different areas of leadership. Conservative evangelicalism has a, a horrible history of leaving women behind. Like they can like play with the kids or they can, you know, make some food. They're, they're not really meant for, you know, learning deep theology or getting really involved with stuff or leading people. Oftentimes women are not encouraged to do hard things in conservative evangelicalism. That is not biblical. That's a conservative evangelical thing. That's not a Bible thing. We need to be encouraging men and women, encouraging them to do the hard things that God's calling them to. So you are allowed to work with kids and make food. This might be what you hear, what you've heard if you're a woman. Um, but that's not what Deborah was about. No, she's leading an army. She's leading people. She's out slaying enemies. She's dragging Barak along, who should have been leading more. And she's encouraging him to take the leadership spot that God's called him to. And he doesn't, so she steps up. Barak needed Deborah. He needed her. She wasn't just some kind of add-on. She was an integral part of how God is working. And Redeemer needs men and women who listen to God. That's what we need as a church. We need men and women. The church needs it. It's not my job to like listen to God and deliver some kind of thing on high as if I'm Moses. All of us now have equal access to God, and we all need to listen to what he's saying in our lives, in our individual lives. Because I don't have the same calling as you do. I don't have the same relationships as you do. I don't have the same kind of whatever as you do. God has uniquely called us individually to work together for his mission here in Charlton. Whether you're an MC leader or just a part of one, um, it's your responsibility to listen to God. Now, let me just take really quickly what listening means and how listening to God makes us go first. Let's just kind of briefly talk about this. When Jesus was teaching in the New Testament, this is what he said about religious people who knew a lot of stuff but didn't act on it. He said this in Matthew 13, 13. Uh, he says, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Or understand. It's easy for us to know a lot of information about the Bible, for us to have a lot of theological knowledge, and not act on it. And these were the types of religious people that Jesus had the worst condemnation for. So the more we know about Scripture, the more responsibility we have it to live it out, and not just kind of in our own small individualistic lives, with other people through the church. Now we can hear the word without hearing the word. I think you know what I mean when I, when I say that. It's the difference between knowing facts and having a life formed by it. God is always speaking through his word, always to us. These are written to you. These are written to me. These are written to our church. And if these words are always being spoken, if we listen to them and if we hear them, truly hear them, our lives will be formed more by him, more by these words than anything else that's out there. And this listening makes us go first because God is going to ask us to do stuff. So we're following Jesus on his path. How can we know where to go if we don't listen for his voice? If you are a Christian, that means you follow Jesus. How could you possibly know where to go if you don't listen to his voice? It's all in here. It's all in the Bible. It's all in here. And when we pray, this is what we enter into. 
We listen for God's voice. We talk to him and we ask him what we should do because he's not a thing to be known. He's a person who's acting in our lives. When people listen to God and go first, people are happy because we all want leaders like that. I want the people who are leading me to listen to God and to go first when God calls them to do that. We all want to be surrounded by people with that. Look at um, Judges 5.2. It says, When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. When people who are leading lead well and step up and go first in the way that God has called them to, praise the Lord. People will praise the Lord because of it. So where in your life is God asking you to go first, to take another step? It's going to be out of comfort into discomfort. It's always uncomfortable going first, taking a step. Now, if you aren't part of a missional community in our church, maybe you've been watching these videos, maybe you're kind of like surrounding yourself in Redeemer, but aren't really yet plugged into Redeemer. Um, if you aren't uh, joining uh, with us on Sundays, uh, and going first for you could be getting involved in the people of God. Because God isn't out to, uh, to give you data. God is out to give you a people through whom he's going to work. And he speaks through his people. Now, for a lot of people who are, not, who are not used to church, and maybe that's one of you, that could be a massive hurdle. That could feel like an impossible kind of step. But I promise you, I promise you that when you do take that step, it's actually a good thing for you. Because if you don't take that step, you're missing out on how God surrounds his people with love through the church. We have to be involved in his church in order to be involved with God. It will also um, be, be good for us because we need you here. We need your voice. If your voice isn't yet part of Redeemer, we need it to be part of Redeemer. The church is a diverse collection of voices all unified together, people from different kind of backgrounds and everything. Your story that you have has something to teach us about God. Your story will teach me about God, and I really want to know about that. I know other people in Redeemer really want to know about that as well. And we, we would just love to be a part of that. If you want to know how to get more connected to Redeemer, if you go to redeemermcr.com slash connectcard, that uh, you enter in your name and your email, and you'll get information from us on ways you can, you can get involved. Also, you'll there you'll find a way to contact us and to ask us any kind of questions that you want. And those come right to me. So I see those. So if there's something confidential or something that you're kind of worried, oh, how, who's going to see this? I'm the only one who sees those. So you can ask me any question. I've heard it all, believe me. <laughs> now, if you are maybe part of Redeemer, maybe you're even part of a missional community, what's the next step for you? Because this isn't just for people who aren't part of a church. These words are for all of us. Maybe it's checking in on someone during the week. If you're just kind of consuming part of your missional community, maybe it's a part of asking, what, what's the next step for me to be able to give back? What does that look like? could just be sending a text to somebody once a week. That, that could be amazing for somebody. Maybe it's asking a leader how you can help. By the way, whenever that happens, whenever someone who isn't a leader asks a leader, hey, how can I help? Angels rejoice in heaven. Harps are being played. Songs are being kind of made. It's just leaders love hearing that because leaders would love to see the mission pr progress. And without people asking, how can I get involved? The mission's not going to progress. So it could just be asking your leader, hey, is there something I can do? Like I have a bit of free time or I have a bit of, a bit of headspace here. Um, or is there somebody that maybe I can connect with more that isn't as connected as you'd like them to be? Those are amazing questions to ask. It could be a core group. Our core groups are very small groups of same-sex people. So like groups of two or three or sometimes four 
just interacting with each other. It could be on these reflection questions. It could just be praying for each other once a week. It doesn't have to be a big whole like thing. It doesn't even have to be a video chat. It could just be sending texts to each other. How can I pray for you? I'm praying for you for this kind of stuff. There are so many options, so many options. And really it's about where is God asking you? That's the limit. It's not the limit of like, oh, there's nothing to do in this church. The limit is where is God asking you and stepping into that? If you're here, that means God wants to use you for some kind of larger purpose. He wants you to join in to some kind of larger purpose than yourself. What is it? Do you know? Listen to God. Ask him those questions and go first. Good leaders go first because they listen to God. Good leaders also encourage others. Good leaders encourage others. Let's look at them in chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Um, that we were there. She, this is Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him. So there's a, a, a specific message that God gave Deborah in order to give to give Barak. God told Deborah something. Deborah listened to God and told Barak what he needed to do. And the song that Deborah sings in chapter 5, she um, says in verse 7, if you look at 5 7, it says, Villagers in Israel would not fight until held back. Uh, and they held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. And then um, look at, again, back at chapter 4, look at verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Oh, sorry, that's 16. Well, we're looking at uh, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? She's... Barak is like, I'll only come if you, I'll only go if you come with me. And Deborah's like, certainly, yeah, let's do it, let's go, we're on it. And then he's still kind of holding back, and Deborah's like, go. The Lord has told you to go. It's it's the Lord's fight. You need to go. She didn't use some kind of self-help thing. She didn't use some kind of catchphrase. Uh, she used God's word to keep Barak encouraged. It's like, what are you doing here? God said, go. You're clearly not doing that. Go do that thing that God told you to do. So two things happened here. One is she initiated this. She encouraged Barak to go by initiating it. And also she kept it going. She kind of maintained that encouragement. It was a one-time thing and an ongoing thing, if that makes sense. She initiated it. She kept it going. And in order to keep it going, you see, like, she actually had to go herself. So when leaders encourage other people, it's not like, hey, you should go do that thing. And I'll check in for me from time to time. Leaders are involved in them. And they're going with them in a way that's appropriate. So encouragement here is about listening to God for others and following through for others. In order to do that, we need to initiate and maintain. Initiate encouragement, maintain encouragement, and often that means going with people. Now look, God had Barak in a particular place for particular reasons above Barak's own. Barak didn't know really what was going on, you know, the day before all this, but God knew. Barak is put in charge of 10,000 men, but even bigger than that, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I've never been in charge of 10,000 men. But even bigger than that, God was going to use Barak to free his people, the whole nation. This is a bigger story than Barak, right? This is something bigger than Barak's imagination. He cannot, he, his imagination has not been sanctified, has not been made holy. His imagination is small and stifled. God's calling him to something that he, he just can't even fathom. And we see that because he reacts with fear. He can't even, he can't picture it. And Deborah steps into that gap. And the same thing for Deborah, right? 
Deborah is one among many prophets that probably existed then, but God has given her a particular calling. Now, hopefully you've had the experience of working under a good boss who is encouraging. Um, I've had many jobs in my day. Uh, at uni, I had a job where I worked in a lab. We would get grass samples in from fields and we would determine like the nitrogen content, how digestible it was, and some other kind of chemistry stuff that went on. All of that um, was to make the best kind of grass to feed cows, basically the most effective grass that's going to be the healthiest thing for cows to eat. Um, it was a pretty kind of fun job, mostly because I got to listen to whatever kind of music I wanted, and um, I had a great boss. Those are the two things. It's pretty low bar. A good boss, good music. I was done. I was set. Uh, my boss's name was Richard Fetier. He was originally from Haiti. He he uh, was a kind of very laid back personality, but a very hard worker. Both of those things, a great combination. Now, whenever the, t the time of the year Carnival came around, there's like a big kind of celebration kind of around Easter time. Um, he was always in a party mood, always in a party mood. He'd be dancing, he'd have music on, like Carnival music. Uh, he loved football as well. He'd always kind of bring me in and, and we'd watch matches together. So I'd be there in the lab, kind of working hard, my head down, kind of getting things done. Uh, and he'd be like, hey, man, go take a break. Just like tapping on the shoulder. What are you doing? You've been working for a while. Why don't you go take a break? Like, what an amazing thing to tell a workaholic, <laughs> which is what I am. But even then, he, just having a boss that looked after me, he could have just said, you know what, you should go a little bit faster. But he didn't because he's a good boss, not a bad boss. And I, I loved working under this new boss. So when a job opening came up in the lab, Immediately, I told my friends, hey, whoever needs a job, this is a great job. And, and I got my housemate, actually, my roommate there to, uh, to join in. So he applied. Being under a good boss feels good. It's great. In fact, it's attractive. I wanted to bring more people into that lab because Richard was an amazing boss. I got to listen to music, got to watch football, got to eat some good carnival food. Now, I don't know anyone in Redeemer who commands an army. Uh, I don't, especially an army that responds to God's word. But I do know that God has given everyone in Redeemer gifts. This is true without a doubt. I do not doubt that at all. There's not, there shouldn't be any doubt. And I do know that we are all in a battle together. More important than a physical battle. This spiritual battle that, that we are kind of in the midst of. See, this story isn't about generic leadership. This story is about leadership going into battle, going into battle. And in this battle, God hasn't left you without weapons. He hasn't left you without gifts. Those gifts that you have, that God has given you, are actually not for you. They're for the church. 1 Corinthians 12 is a common passage for teaching on gifts. And in there, the author Paul of that letter uh, Paul calls gifts manifestations of the Spirit. They're like the Spirit made obvious in the world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Put another way in the message translation is each person is giving something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. This could be making food for people. This could be praying for people. This could be teaching. This could be behind-the-scenes organization. This could be uh, working with children or working with youth. God has given Redeemer whatever it needs. We, as a church, do not lack any gift. 
There's no gift that's lack, that, that is lacking in order for us to fulfill the mission God is calling us to. God calls us to it, and he gives us what we need as we go through it. That's an amazing thought. We're not behind the ball in anything. We're right where we should be. Everyone has the gifts that God um, has given in order for us to do it. Now, the thing is, the limit on how successful or not successful Redeemer will be in fulfilling that mission, fulfilling that calling, will be who is going to use the gifts that God has given you. Who's going to step up into that, into the gifts that you already have that aren't for you because they're for other people. Who is going to use their gifts? God's given Redeemer whatever it needs. In fact, Paul starts uh, the letter to the Corinthians by saying this in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Therefore you, talking to the church at Corinth, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. Now, if the church in Corinth doesn't lack a spiritual gift, we here do not lack any spiritual gift. Redeemer, we don't lack anything. They are all here with us. So how are you using yours? How are you using your gifts? It's not for you. It's for others. That's why it's called a gift and not a possession. You don't own it. It's a gift that's been given by God for you to give to others. That's the whole thing of what a gift is about. What a gift is about. It's not a possession. It's a gift for others. Now, if you are are kind of struggling to think of like, I don't know what my kind of gifts are, um, I would love to walk you through this to help you discover that. Just email me at greg at redeemermcr.com. If you don't know my email address, that's what it is. If you do know, that's fine. You can text me, email me, give me a ring. We can chat through it. We can walk through it because it, it's, it's an amazing thing to be to use your gifts and it's a tragic thing to have gifts and them not be used. So we want the gifts that we have in order to be used for everybody. You have gifts to encourage others. How are you initiating and encouraging others in the gifts that God has given you? It could be a scary thing. But it's a much better thing to live on the other side of that. All right. So lastly, about good leaders. Good leaders give glory to God. Good leaders go first because they listen to God. Good leaders encourage others to listen to God. Lastly, good leaders give glory to God. This is where Deborah's song comes in in chapter 5. Deborah celebrates victory in the most God-honoring and glorifying way, and she's talented in songwriting, and so she writes the songs. One of Deborah's gifts here is chapter 5. Not every prophet could write songs. Deborah could. So that's what she did, a gift for, that we are still reaping the benefits of. And she's going to tell everyone about it, especially people in power. Look at um, We're going to stay in chapter 5 for a bit. So look at chapter 5, verse 3. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. And look at verses, uh, the next two verses, four and five. Who's doing the work here? Let's see. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. Who's doing the work there? It's the Lord. And this is like supernatural action. This is like creation shaking kind of stuff. Look at verse, uh, in verse 8. Who's choosing the leaders? God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. So God's choosing leaders. They're a bit reluctant to step up, but God is doing the work. He's doing the choosing of the leaders. And lastly, in verse 11, who does the victory belong to? Verse 11, the voice of the singers at the watering places, they recite what? The victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. And the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. This is God who's doing the work. God is choosing the leaders. And because of that, the victory belongs to the Lord. 
Chapter 5 isn't a praise song to man. It's not a praise song to Jael. It's not a praise song to Deborah. It's not a praise song to Barak. It's not a kind of like victory like we killed all Sisera and his army. And yeah, we should we as a people collectively, as a community did it. It's not man-centered at all. It's all focused on the Lord because good leaders give glory to God. Deborah knows that even though God works through his people, even though he's the one who's doing the work, that, 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 that's what it's about. He might work through his people, but he's the one who's doing the work. And this is a reason to be happy. This is a reason to praise. Let's not um, lose the fact that this is a happy praise song. We're happy that it's the Lord who's working. This leads us to joy. You mean to tell me, the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who's reworked my heart and many others, he chooses to work through me? That's insane. And that makes me happy to see it when he does. Because he will. How amazing is that? Who wouldn't want to get in on that? What are you going to see when you join in with this? Don't withhold yourself. Jump in. Now, leaders are not glory hogs. Well, I guess they could be. Could leaders, I should say, are not glory hogs. They give it away as much as they can. Leaders, as in good leaders, truly are servants. I know it's kind of like a maybe Christianese catchphrase, maybe even like a corporate world catchphrase, leaders are servants. But really, leaders are servants. It, it come, that idea comes from the Bible, comes from Jesus himself. So if you are the Lord's, you are his servant. You do his bidding. You don't get to say what you want to do. You ask your master what you should do and you follow through. And the Lord doesn't isn't horrible with leading. The Lord loves you more than anything else, more than you love yourself. Of course you want to ask him what you want to do next, because it's going to be in your best interest, though it might be difficult. And if you are his servant, you serve other people by loving them. Now, when something good does happen, we give the glory to God. It's his battle. It's his fight. It's his victory. He's the one empowering us. So if we're leaning on him to empower us, of course we can't steal the victory for ourselves. We give it back to him, and we're happy to do so. One thing I love to do as a dad is have Colin help me with something and then tell him what a good job he did for helping me. Um, he didn't really put a bike shed together, but he did help as best as a five-year-old could. He did help. And I do mean it when I look at him and we're looking at the shed that's built and I say, look what we did. Great job. Wow. We did that together. Thank you for helping me. This is even better with God, even better with God. We look at how he's worked in our lives, even how Redeemer has grown, and we praise him for it. We look back and we praise him for it. And he looks at how we've joined in with his mission. And he says, wow, look what we did. Great job. He did really good there. Thank you for being in on this. Let's keep it going. That's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of God we get to serve. And what do we get for that? More love from our Father, more rooted in how he loves us. I'm hoping that's what Colin gets when we work together on something. I, I would like him to learn to make a bike shed, yeah, but I, more than that, I want him to know how much I love him. I want him to be rooted in, in my love for him so much that when I do disagree and tell him difficult things, he knows it's coming from a place of love. All the more from an infinite father who is good. Giving glory to God not only puts us in the right place, uh, we're just servants after all, it also relieves us from burdens that we were not meant to bear. It's not up to us to fix this world. It's not up to us to fix people. That's God's work. Now, we're servants, 
And so we work hard and we get involved on it, in it, but it's God who is at work. There is no hope for this world for us to work in our own power. If we're working in our own power, there is no hope to be found. We're going to be picking up pieces and it's going to be like kind of okay, maybe not even half the time. The only hope in this world, the only hope for us is for God to work. For God to work. We need God's work to break through into our lives. We need God's work to break through into our church. We need God's work to break through into our city, to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our friends, to our work colleagues. Another thing about servants is that we can't do it ourselves. We need to work together. Just as gifts aren't meant for all, not everybody has the same kind of gift, how we discover our gifts is a community project as well. You can't really know where you're gifted if you aren't involved in God's community. If you aren't part of one of our missional communities, for example, which is the heart of who Redeemer is, you're going to miss out on two things. One, you're going to miss out on understanding where God has actually gifted you. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you don't. Either way, you're going to completely miss out if you're not involved in God's people. If you say that he hasn't gifted you, that just means you haven't spent time on it yet. And again, email me or talk to your MC leader and we can work that out. That's something that um, I think every Christian should know because he has gifted you. Now, here's a quick way to think about uh, maybe your gift. Think of the overlap of two things. In order to figure out where you might be gifted, the overlap of two things, what have you done really well and also enjoyed at the same time? Often in that overlap, that's the beginning of where you might be able to discover where God's gifted you. So if you're not part of a missional community, though, not only will you not understand your gifts, or maybe you will a little bit, but not really completely as the way God's called you to, more importantly, you will not have a context to work those gifts out. You won't have anyone to give that gift to. You'll have something you should be giving to somebody, and you'll be end up hoarding gift for yourself, like as if it's your possession. It's not your possession. It's a gift for somebody else. You could have all the theological training. You could have all the published books. You could have a million YouTube subscribers. But if you aren't in a missional community or doing life with real people, I'm not impressed. I don't think that's a very big deal. Doing all the other things, all the kind of individualistic, kind of almost career-based kind of things, all that is easy. Anyone can learn about the Bible. That's really easy to learn. The difficult thing and where the gift really comes in is how do we interact Bible truth in people's lives? Or how do we interact that love for cooking or hospitality in other people's lives? How do we interact with that love of prayer and that gift of prayer that we might have in other people's lives? Evangelism, whatever it might be. It's all about relationships around other people. And the way that we do that at Redeemer is through missional communities. Now, you don't have to, not, Redeemer isn't for everybody. So if a missional community thing isn't for you, it might be that Redeemer may not be the best church for you to grow as a Christian, and that's okay. But if you're going to be part of Redeemer, being part of Redeemer means being part of a missional community. Missional communities are where you're with God's people. It's where people know you and you know them. It's where we connect our lives together as a family brought together by the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are missional communities, you have a context. God, you don't have to wonder like, oh, I wonder, has God called me to this people? Yes, he has because you're part of that missional community. It's not some kind of weird kind of uh, read the tea leaves and get like some kind of specific sign from God. Those are the people who God has called you to. So how can we do this better together? All of us. We can all go grow in this way. Now, after Jesus resurrected, 
and was walking with some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he gave a Bible study. In Luke 24, 27, uh, Jesus says this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, those disciples, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Moses, the prophets, including judges, teaches us about Jesus. All these stories teach us about Jesus. How, How does this one do that? Well, the reason we can go first is because he went first. Jesus listened to the voice of the Father. He knew the voice of the Father better than any of us ever will. Even when it told him to do things that he wasn't keen on, he still listened. He didn't just hear the words, he listened. And Jesus surrendered and listened and went first. He went to the cross. He stepped out. He didn't get a crown of glory to begin with. He got a crown of thorns. He didn't get praise for doing that. He got harassment. He got spat upon. He didn't get a massive gathering of people. In fact, it was lonely at the foot of the cross. He was marched outside of the city, left alone to die a very shameful, horrible death. And he died because he knew that we could not do this by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. The story of judges is mostly a story of people who aren't good leaders. (laughs) Deborah may be one of the bright exceptions. And in our experience, it's probably been true of most of the leaders for us. Do we have the majority of good leaders over our lives if we look back or bad? They aren't going first, these bad leaders. They aren't encouraging others. They aren't giving glory to God. And that's just as true as us, for us in our lives. Just as true. So when Jesus died, he put to death everything that holds us back from using our gifts in the way that he's called us to. Everything that holds us back from initiating and going with others and maintaining that encouragement. Everything that wants us to rob God's glory for ourselves, all that is done, he put it to death for those who follow him. Now, if that's you, and you've been saying to yourself, yeah, I'm not there. I'm not good enough. Yeah, depending on yourself, you aren't there. You aren't good enough if you do depend on yourself there. But we don't have to depend on ourselves. That's the glorious thing. That's actually kind of the whole point. Because in you, if you follow Jesus, you don't depend on yourself anymore. In you, Jesus has put that old person to death. And his spirit now is alive in you, giving you the ability to step out first, the ability to encourage others, initiating it, maintaining it, the ability to give him glory when really you want the glory for yourself. And when Jesus rose again, he gave all of us a new identity, all those who follow him, one that is able to go first, encourage others, give glory to God, because we've been given a gift, the Holy Spirit himself in us. God himself dwells in us. And this gift that Jesus gave us gives us gifts in order for other people to benefit from them. Just as Jesus didn't hold back his spirit from us, we don't hold back our gifts from his church. Because Jesus went first, we can go first as we depend on him. Some reflection questions, either um, maybe by yourself, again, even better if you're in a core group. And if you want to get connected to a core group, just reply to any email that Redeemer sends out. Uh, First one, how does avoiding leadership sabotage your relationships with God and others? Secondly, how could embracing God's call of leadership enrich those relationships? Thirdly, what might be a small step towards that change? Not a big massive leap, let's not go overboard, but the next kind of small step as we all stumble towards faith together in Jesus. 
Let me pray.